Let's pray together. Gracious God, it is so good to come into your presence. Lord, to know the reality of the love of God in our lives, to be reminded of your grace, to be reminded of your majesty, and that, um, that God, we are yours. Lord, for people who can say that they are a child of God, come into relationship with you, Father, through faith in Christ, by the work of your Holy Spirit. What a privilege. And Lord, what a joy it is. God, we come to you now and we would pray that uh, you would continue to be at work in this place as we have sung to you our praise. Um, So Lord, now we come to listen to you and to respond to your word. So work in us now, we pray, God. Move us forward in faith and understanding. But Lord, more than just an understanding, but uh, lead us forward in terms of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus faithfully. Bless us, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, I've realized something in the last uh, month or two, I suppose, about uh, the preaching that I'm doing in these last, if you would, months of my tenure as pastor at IPC, as those uh, months uh, sort of shorten up, if you would, uh, is that I'm feeling this great need to preach things that I need to preach. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, I've always preached what I thought was important, and I come into each service saying, man, I... This is important. These people need to know. They need to hear from God. and Hopefully it will impact their lives. But, uh, you know, I've only got 18 sermons left, and including this one. And uh, for those of you who don't think that's uh, few, I think it's few because I've preached 46 sermons over the last 30 years. So 18 is nothing, right? It's, it's really very few. Um, but it's like, what do I need to say, Father? I mean, I've, it's like a limited opportunity now, right? I don't have the opportunity that I, that I might have had before. What's most important for you that you want me to speak to? And to tell you the honest truth, <laughs> I guess the truth is always honest, isn't it? Uh, one of the things that God has really laid in my heart to preach about is this topic that we're going to start to address today, and that is holiness. Holiness. Um, I'm calling this sermon, Your Holiness. And I'm doing it sort of with a double entendre in mind, with a little tongue-in-cheek and a little smile on my face, because there are some people who are referred to as your holiness. The Pope is called your holiness, the Dalai Lama is called your holiness, and other religious figures who, who appear to um, you know, live more holy than others, I suppose. But I don't want to talk about them so much. What I want to focus on is your holiness. Get it? Your holiness and my holiness before God. Um, you know, the reality is that um, I've had a bit of an epiphany in the last, I don't know, six months or so. It's like a light went on in this regard. And I've recognized, and I, I, you know, you can agree with me or disagree with me on this, but there are many North American Christians who are really, really aware of the love of God and the grace of God. And so they should be. Because the love of God and the grace of God are incredibly important for us to understand and and to live our lives according to. But my contention in this series is that there's been such an emphasis on the love of God and on the grace of God that 
for some reason the holiness of God's not really talked about a whole lot. And I recognize even in my own preaching that it's something that's, if you would, fallen off the table. I think maybe it's because a couple of generations ago there was a big swing and, and you know, the, 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 the focus was on Christian morality and how we live our lives. And then there's been a big swing through my lifetime, through my ministry to grace, you know, and love. Not so much focused on how we behave morally, if you would. But I'm recognizing we need to swing back into the middle and hold on to both. And we need to take a look at this. We need to take, take a look at our holiness. Take a look at God's holiness. Take a look at what it means to be holy in terms of how we live our lives. Um, and recognize that there's something in Scripture that calls us to this thing called holiness. So I'm asking you today as we kick this off, how is your holiness? You know? As I've asked myself the same question. See, in essence, what Scripture calls us to, first and foremost, is to be like God. You ever thought about that? You and I, we're supposed to be like God, who is holy. Holy. I'm going to take you to the, the, the classic passage in uh, the New Testament, at least on holiness. It's 1 Peter uh, 1, 15 and 16. Uh, it's actually a quote uh, part of it from Leviticus, which is a book in the Old Testament which describes holiness. It's, it's really it's the holiness code. It's, it's how the Israelite people would approach God, especially in worship. How, how they would have to live in order to, to, to enter into his presence in that day. And you know, what, what, what is described here uh, is, is this, co- this, this concept. We are to be like God. Now, God is holy. What does that mean? Number one, it means he's set apart from the whole world. He is distinct from all of creation. There is nothing and no one in the world like God. He's unique. Number one. Number two, he is morally pure. God is sinless. We saw that in the life of Jesus. But it only reflects the reality of God all through eternity. God has no sin in him. Never has, never will. So listen to this. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 say uh, these words. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Ah, That's wild, huh? To be holy like God in all that we do? For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's the quote from Leviticus. Like, whoa, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? How can we dig into this and understand it? We are called to be like God. And I could read numerous passages over and over and over and over again from the Bible that calls us to this. Uh, The reality is that there are 600 references and more to holiness in the Bible. That is actually a greater number of references in the Bible than there is to the love of God. Isn't that interesting? There's a greater focus, numerically at least, in the Bible on God's holiness than on his love. Both are incredibly important and true and need to have impact in our lives. But, it, but even in that light, it seems a little odd to me. With such a focus in Scripture on God's holiness, it's not so prominent anymore in the church of Christ. Well, the first thing I want to do today is lay a foundation for our discussion that is to come. And I want to look at the struggle that many Jesus followers have uh, in relationship with the idea of God's law. The law, of course, being the means to holiness. Follow the law, you'll live a holy life. But there, there, there seems to be this confusion and challenge and difficulty. And people tend to fall in 
uh, in, in, in a way to two camps that are really not what Scripture calls us to. Now I want to describe those two camps to you and then see where this takes us. Number one uh, is called legalism. Now legalism is, is this idea that a person's religious experience is, is focused on the law. Um, and there's a lot of attention given to the law. Often these folks say they believe in grace. You know, we come to Christ by grace. It's not of myself, it, uh, so that none of us can boast. Ephesians 2 says people recognize that reality. That Jesus has done the work in his perfect life, and then going to the cross, and his death, and in his resurrection. It is what Jesus has done, not what I do, that allows for me to be a child of God. That is believed. Yet when it comes to living life as a follower of Jesus. Very often people don't live as though grace were a reality. You know, it, it's almost as if they have to live in, a, in such a, a good fashion that they gain the approval of God. I want to tell you whether you're coming into faith or whether you're living in the faith, but the approval of God is given to us through Christ, not by our behavior, not by obeying the law. But you see, in this instance, religion, if you would, is defined by rule-keeping. God, some folks think, is displeased when they break the law, when they sin, um, and somehow is rejecting of people or not as happy with them as he might be, so they think. And then on the other hand, if they manage to keep the law, then they think God approves of them and thinks highly of them. And, and, and what happens out of this perspective is that that people feel a couple of things. One of them is a lot of guilt. You know, people who set this, if I would, can put it this way, unrealistically high standard for themselves and they, and they can't meet it because who can keep the law? I can't. And you can't. That's why we needed Jesus. But when people fail to keep the law, they feel guilt and they feel that God is that stern judge who condemns them because of their behavior. And in this thinking and this kind of living, it's pretty much impossible to really know and experience and believe in the love of God. He's a judge, not, he's, he's not a God of love. And it's pretty much impossible to know joy, uh, the joy of the Lord, because it's not a lot of fun feeling guilty all the time. And it's pretty much impossible to have that experience of the prodigal son who was pretty sinful and came home to the father but found his father as one who was just thrilled to see him and threw his arms around him and loved him and led him to a celebration. You see, the legalist can't experience that because God is a judge, a punishing judge, a condemning judge versus what I've described to you here. So on the one hand, the legalist can be pretty guilt-oriented and, and, and feel condemned. On the other hand, they, the, the, it, there's the problem of pride and judgmentalism. This happens when... A legalist might stand back and see other people sinning and say, well, I don't do that and sort of raise themselves above others and point fingers and condemn as if they're God, which they're not, of course. Classic story comes to us in the New Testament, Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells the story about two men who went uh, to, the, uh, to, to pray and, and to confess their sins. And, and I'm going to read that to you, Luke 18, 9 to 14. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So we've got a legalist who's looking down on other people who have behaved in a fashion that they wouldn't think of. All right? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, 
I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to, the, to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is saying, this legalist, the Pharisee, came to confess a sin, but he did not go home justified. He did not go home forgiven. He was too proud to admit his own faults. You see, legalists don't tend to see their own sin especially the sin of pride. They just see the sin of everyone else. And when they see the sin of everyone else, they point the finger and they blame and they condemn. And I want to tell you, my friends, and I want you to hear this, this is not biblical Christianity. It's not. This, this has nothing to do with the way of Jesus, as you just heard me read. Such people don't even get their sin forgiven which is a, a startling comment. And what we need to do, my friends, is start to look at this, and, and I'm going to give you the other, the other side of this problem, if you would, in a minute, but let me just ask you, and I want you to think about this as I have requested you sort of locate yourself on this to see whether either of these two unbiblical realities is how you live your life as a believer. But do you tend to feel a lot of guilt in life as a follower of Jesus? Is that part of your experience? I'm here to tell you, if you are in Christ, if you have been forgiven for your sin, you don't need to live that way. That's not what God wants for you. He wants you every time you sin, and you will, and so will I. You need to come to the prodigal son's father, and you need to find forgiveness, and, and you need to find his, him wrapping his arms of love around you and reaffirming you as his child and helping you then celebrate the grace you've experienced. Not guilt or even shame. Hmm. Do you ever find yourself condemning other people because of their behavior? See, that's, again, what, not, what, what Jesus doesn't want for us. We're no better than others. My sin might be a little more hidden than yours or someone else's, but I'm no better than anybody, nor are you. We recognize the need of grace, we recognize the need of forgiveness, and we live in it. But we're not called to judge people kind of raise ourselves above as if we're somehow better. So my friends, number one, legalism. We need to turn away from it. And, and if there's, even now you're sensing, I wonder if there's a strain of that in me. Will you deal with that? Especially as we go through this series, will you ask God to lead you beyond it that you might be more like Jesus? Well, the second way of looking at this experience of law. If legalism is, is, is one way, the other end of the spectrum is what's called antinomianism. And I would have loved to come up with a better term, but I've thought about it and I just can't. Antinomianism, antinomian uh, in Greek, it's, it's a combination of true, two words. It's like against the law or no law. And folks that are, that are in this camp really uh, don't particularly care about God's law at all. Uh, and, and there are many sincere people who follow Jesus but kind of fit into this camp. There's a prominent belief in God's love and in God's grace, but God is never the judge, as the Bible says that he is and will be. So much so that there is really no place for the law at all in their lives. Let me read to you a definition of antino an antinomian, uh, just from a dictionary. A person who maintains 
that Christians, by virtue of divine grace, are freed not only from biblical law and church-prescribed behavioral norms, but also from all moral law. What do you think about that? you think Christian people ever live in that place? They just don't care at all about the law of God? Well, here's how this plays itself out in people's minds. Where the legalist is mainly focused on the law, the antinomian is really focused on God's love and on God's grace. That's really their, their, their view, their, their, their um, perspective, if you would. Um, and where that is prominent, they really honestly don't um, care much about, uh, they don't think God cares much about how they live. Whatever they might do, God will forgive. Whatever they might do, God's grace is sufficient for it. It's just not that important to them. Sometimes these even, folks even think that the law is a bad thing. Even though, listen to me, the law of God is as much divine revelation as any part of Scripture. It is from his mind to us. It's an expression of his will. It is good for us to know this law and then, of course, to live by it. Well, what these folks tend to do in the end is, is um, to live their lives essentially like the world lives. And there are statistics to prove that so often... Jesus' followers' moral lives aren't that different from the culture at large. They don't let the law speak into how they choose to live. And I want to tell you, Paul speaks directly against this. Romans chapter uh, 5 and 6, at the end of it, um, um, the, uh, of chapter 5, Paul's talking. I'm not going to read the end of Romans 5, but I'm going to read the beginning of Romans 6. Paul's talking about you know, this incredible reality of grace where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It's an amazing thing. You can't out-sin God's grace. No matter what you do the, where you break the law, where you sin, where you do things that are wrong in the eyes of God, God's grace is sufficient for that. And we can find forgiveness. It's an amazing reality. But then he says this at the beginning of verse 6. Verses 1 to 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, exclamation mark. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You see, we can't get to that place where the law has no reference to our lives. We can't get to that place where we, we, have, we can depend on, the, uh, on grace so that it doesn't matter how we live. We can do whatever we choose. Paul is so clear. And bottom line is that, that in, in the Bible, the law is a good thing. It is of God and it is a blessing to it. Is it something that we have to take seriously? It's an expression of his will. Listen, that so often we are called to obey. Obey. My friends, what, what needs, what, what, what's going on in this instance is that we get to that point where we recognize that there's something beyond legalism and there's something beyond antinomianism Whereby, the, by the way, love is the norm. I, let, let me just take a moment with that. Love is the norm so much so that people define what's right and wrong by this standard of love. God is love. But when they're thinking about what's loving, they don't allow Scripture to inform what loving action is. They don't take the law of God as an expression of love, which is good, which is of the Lord, and say, okay, this is what loving action is. 
People who live in this antinomian camp just think, well, I can determine what's loving. Whatever I think is loving, well, that's what I'm going to do. That's really common in the culture. Love is love, they say. But it's according to the human being. Not according to Scripture. Not according to God. My friends, what, what we have to f- recognize is that there's something in the middle here. There's something in the middle that is neither legalism nor antinomianism. Both are not authentic Christianity. And of course, what we have to recognize in the end of the day is that God calls us as an expression of faith and as an expression of love to live according to the good law of God as it's revealed in Scripture. If there's one thing you remember about what I say this morning, it is this. Our behavior, our acting the way we choose to act, our moral living, um, our works, it has nothing to do with us coming into a relationship with Jesus. Absolutely nothing. And it has nothing to do, if you would, with our approval of God at any point. But once we do come into that relationship with Christ, our behavior... Um, does have a lot to do with our relationship with God. Because he's called us to it. He's saying, be like me. Listen to the law that I have given to you. Live your lives according to the law that I have revealed and is good. So, anybody here identifying a little bit with a legalist? legalist? Don't, don't put your hand up. Experience, you know, Robin, yeah, I'm a legalist. No, geez, I'm kidding. But, you know, a little bit of guilt in my, is pretty prominent in my life. I feel guilt, sometimes shame. Sometimes I feel the pride which pr- produces a, a judgmentalism toward people who don't live according to God's law, both believers and non-believers alike, actually. Or over here, you know, like, the law's not really that important. As long as I act in love, I'll be okay, according to my definition of what loving is. So, my friends, this idea of What's in the middle is called holiness. This idea that God has spoken and given us this law, this this moral guidance, this way of living as His people. He says, come and be like me. Live like me. Both in terms of being distinct from the world, separate, unlike others. And listen to me, and in terms of being morally pure. That's a mouthful, right? Me living a morally pure life so that I'm completely distinct from the world? Yeah. And I want to tell you something. You can accomplish that. By the grace of God, by the work of God's Spirit, you can live a holy life. Let me just ask you this question. Do you know anyone who is holy? I don't mean perfect, because... On this side of heaven, none of us are ever going to be perfect. That's why we have grace still. It's ongoing. Why we can confess our sin and return to the Father in His embrace of love. That's just part of the journey and it's okay as long as we keep doing that. But do you know anybody who lives a holy life? I do. And you know what I want to tell you? That is a beautiful thing to observe. Somebody who, who is, is, is not a legalist, somebody who doesn't judge other people, you know, yet someone who lives by the law of God, takes the, the instruction, the moral instruction of Scripture, and embraces it and lives that way. 
not somebody on the other side of the coin who says, well, the, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. As long as it's loving, I'm, I'm, I'm good. No. Someone who takes both of those dynamics, brings them into the middle, um, and lives in obedience to the Lord. Why? Not because they have to. Legalists think that way. <laughs> but because they want to. Because they do so as an expression of love to God. As they do so as an expression of their faith, trusting in what God has spoken. I want to tell you it's a remarkable thing when God works in a person's life to the extent that they come to that place where they are living a holy life. And what I want to do over these next weeks, and particularly today, I suppose, is I want to put holiness on the table. I want us to think about this again, and I don't want us to think about it from a legalistic perspective. Oh, these laws are going to come and burden my life, and it's going to be miserable. No, that's not holiness. Jesus speaks to to the legalists and to those who are following in the way of the Pharisees in Matthew 11 when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's speaking specifically to this idea of a burdened life and people who are weary because they're tired of trying to follow all the rules. Jesus says, Come to me, because in me you'll find rest. No. We get to live this life in relationship with God where he, by his spirit, leads us in this process of increasing holiness over the course of our lives. It's called sanctification. Where we are transformed into the image of Christ. What does that mean? That we become like God. And the very reason I asked you whether you know someone who is holy is because I want you to know this is a possibility in your life. It's an amazing thing that you can be like God. I want to read a few uh, passages of Scripture just again to put this on the table and to, and to uh, give it some prominence and focus in your mind. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. This is a really well-known passage, but I want you to no- notice how it ends. It says this, 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Isn't that remarkable? (laughs) Like all that old stuff, get rid of it. Get it out of your life. This is your journey. This is what God invites you into. Step by step, as God by his spirit convicts and as he enables you, you get rid of the sin that characterizes the old life and you put on the new self so that you end up in true righteousness and holiness like God. Wow. How about this one? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse, thir- uh, verse 13, yes. It says this, May he, the Lord, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. There it is again. Here's our goal. Here's our intention. Here's our aspiration. This is what the Lord calls us to. Holy living. Without judgment. But according to his law. Chapter 4. Same uh, book. 1 Thessalonians uh, 4 verse 3 to 7. This is a great text. It says this. It is God's will that you should... Oh, I'm reading from the NIV and I asked them to put it up in the NLT. Do we have it in the NLT? 
We don't. Okay, well, we'll read it in the NIV then, and I'll explain to you why. It says in verse 3, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, in the New Living Translation, it's translated holiness. It's the same concept. A, a sanctified person is holy. A saint is holy. All right? That you should be sanctified, that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, and in, um, not in passion like the... Uh, passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. Yes, and that is a reference to believers. Right? God is judge when he needs to be and disciplines. Um, as you were told and warned before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Isn't that amazing? That's our calling. Once we're in the kingdom, again, get it. We don't get into the kingdom by how we live, by our works, by our moral actions. It has nothing to do with us gaining the acceptance of God and being received as his child. But once we're in the kingdom, once we're part of the family of God, once we're in a relationship with the Holy God, it is for us to strive to live like him, to make that our goal, to make that our intention. Let me take you back to 1 Peter. And I'm going to read, actually, the, uh, the, uh, a longer text here. Because it puts it in context compared to what I read before. Verse, chapter 1, 13 to 16. Listen, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope in the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. In all we do, holiness, God-likeness, moral purity. See, my friends, I, I, want us to, I want us to take some weeks, and I want us to celebrate God's love, and I want us to celebrate God's grace, but I also want us to come to terms with the holiness of God and his call in our lives to be like him be holy. Last verse I'm going to read to you comes from Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14. If I can find it. Here we go. It says this, make every effort to do two things. Make every effort, number one, to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We're going to talk about that verse in the coming weeks. Without holiness actively experienced in life, we will not see God. We will not understand God. It'll be like we're blind to the reality of who God is. Living a holy life opens our eyes to see and to understand. But you see how it begins. Make every effort to live, dot, 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 and to be holy. Let me ask you the question as, as we wind up here. Is that something that, if you, that is on your agenda? Can I put it that way? Is that something that's in your mind? Is that something that's prominent in your relationship with Jesus? Is that something that you strive for? You know, the last thing I want you to think about is, is, as you leave here today is that, that Scripture is calling you to something that is hard and something that is painful, and something that's uncomfortable, and something that is, 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 is uh, distasteful. 
I think a lot of people think in those terms because they naturally gravitate toward the possibility of legalism. Oh, it's all about the law, and if I don't meet the law, I'll feel guilty because of it, and people will judge me. Ah, nothing to do with holiness. It really doesn't have anything to do with following Jesus, as we have seen from his words today. Some might be going, my goodness, I, I like choosing what's morally right based on love according to my opinion. Well, you know what? If you're an authentic follower of Jesus, it's time to move away from that as well. Because we don't get to decide what's right and wrong. We don't get to decide what's loving. God has spoken it in his word. And in this text in, 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 in Hebrews, we are essentially told to strive for this thing called holiness where we live our lives in obedience to the king of kings out of faith and out of love so that our lives by the power of the spirit at work within us is transformed. And step by step by step, we put off the old and we put on the new. We move beyond the sin that once mastered us and controlled us and was more powerful in our lives than we were able to handle. And by the work of the Spirit, it is gone increasingly so that we end up obedient to the Lord. My friends, how is your holiness? I want to invite you into a journey where we understand more of these things and where we come to a place where as we hold on to the love and the grace of God, we discover in greater and greater and greater measure the holiness of God, which calls us, gives, the gives us the desire, gives us the longing to be like him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do recognize that uh, it's not always an easy thing to, to wrap our heads around the reality of what it means to follow Jesus, especially when it comes to these issues. But God, there may be people here who recognize some legalism in them, who experience just way too much guilt in life or maybe too much judgment of other people. And God, I pray for those folks that they will recognize this and they will recognize it's not what you want for them, that they need to be freed from all of that to live in grace and to celebrate with joy what you have done for them in Christ. God, there may be people who are here, who are listening online, who, who have lived in this antinomian realm too long, who, who don't give the law any weight at all, who, who think that as long as what they do is loving according to themselves, that it's right and good. And God, I pray that they will come to understand the reality of what it means to follow Jesus. That God, you have revealed your law and it is good and it is right and it is the, it is the way that we are to love one another. And I pray, Lord, that those folks uh, start to take what you have written into Scripture about what is right and wrong more seriously and they begin to live out of faith, trusting in what you have revealed. Learning to live in obedience to you and what you have spoken. God, in the end of the day, I pray that you will make all of us holy people. That we will strive for it, that you will work by your Holy Spirit, that we will be able to put off the old and put on the new. So that in the end of the day, Lord, we look like you. God, our prayer is that you would make us holy. Our prayer is that you would recognize that we have a king in Christ who is the king of kings and that he calls us out of faith to live in obedience to him. 
Help us to take hold of this dynamic, Lord. Help us to discover it in greater and greater measure. And Lord, not only as individuals, but as a congregation, we pray that we might represent you, that people might look at us as individuals and as a church and see God in how we live. God bless us in this. Guide us in this. Show us your will and enable us to live holy lives. This we pray in Jesus' name.